Costa Rica Travel Pass is a paid sponsor of Mormon Discussion Podcast. Costa Rica Travel Pass helps families enjoy Costa Rica flexibly, independently, and affordably. A family of four can enjoy a week in Costa Rica for under $1,200 plus airfare. If you're ready for an out-of-the-bus vacation that your family will always remember, visit Costa Rica Travel Pass at CostaRicaTravelPass.com or calling 1-877-780-7277. Mormon Discussion Podcast is an effort to help Latter-day Saints like you strengthen your faith and to support you in your trials of faith. This podcast operates on the donations of listeners like you. To help this podcast, please consider making a donation at mormondiscussion.podbean.com. On the right-hand side, about halfway down. Thank you. Come thou fount of every blessing to my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of Welcome life. to another episode of Mormon Discussion. I am your host, Bill Real. I'm grateful to have you with us today. You can reach me by email at realmormon at gmail.com. That's R-E-E-L-M-O-R-M-O-N at gmail.com. You can find this podcast on iTunes, but you're only going to find the most recent 20 or so episodes. So please check out the podcast at its host site, mormondiscussion.podbean.com. That's mormondiscussion, all one word, dot P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Dot com. You can also find us on Facebook under the name Mormon Discussion, all one word. Now to what you've been waiting to hear. Sister Panky Taylor, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I am absolutely wonderful. How are you, Bill? I'm doing good, good. I uh, I want to give my listeners some background. Those who have been listening to this podcast for some time may remember that I mentioned a while back that I would be interviewing you. And to give people a little bit of feedback on how I got in contact with you, my very first interview with another person was with Brad Wilcox. And when I got done with that interview, uh, he recommended several names to go and talk to, and you were one of those. Um, maybe if you can just start us off. Uh, Sister Panky Taylor, if we, by telling us a little bit of your childhood, if you don't mind. Okay, that would be great. Well, let's see. Um, I was born and raised mostly in Virginia, so um, Southern enough to call myself a Southerner. <laughs> and I grew up in a household of great faith. My mother and my father were very faithful people. And um, they were not, however, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And, in fact, I had never heard of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, we moved because my dad was in the service. We went over to Hawaii and spent three years there and then came back to Virginia. And um, along about, well, here's an interesting thing which I've always treasured. On my eighth birthday of all birthdays, my father gave me a book called Jesus and His Disciples. And it was a picture book with um, a short little bio on each of the apostles and then um, about about the Savior himself. And uh, looking back at retrospect, that's a very beautiful gift that he gave me on my eighth birthday. When I became, I think I was probably about 14, I started taking myself to different churches because I, I had asked since I had a voice, what about this? What about this? I don't understand that. I don't get this. And I would be sent to the different preachers and pastors and whatever, and no one could answer my questions. So 
I, um, I grew up with a desire to know the rest of the story, which led me to being a teenager and checking um, out everything I knew to check out. But I guess I should digress a little. When I was seven years old, I had an illness which um, put me in the hospital, and I spent a month in the hospital, and they finally told my parents to take me home because I was going to die. My kidneys had totally shut down. One was completely scarred. The second one was so scarred that there wasn't a chance that I could live. And the story was that I clenched my fist and uh, rang there in the bed, and I prayed out loud that um, the Lord would bless me and that I would be able to be well. And um, I, I guess it was a very difficult and moving time for my parents and for the medical personnel. And you know what? I went home and I, I was doing okay. And about a week later, we went back for a check. And the short story is the doctors just looked at me, looked through the thick medical records and said, I don't know what to say. After they'd done their tests, he says, you have a little girl who has two working kidneys. She's going to be fine. So you experienced the Lord's tender mercies early on. Very early on. And I knew that he was real and I knew he answered prayers. And to be honest with you, I believe it it shifted something inside of me so that from that very early age, I felt tethered to him. And that's why I believe I was pushed to continue seeking, to be honest. Wow, that's that's an incredible story. I uh, in preparing for this interview, I came across uh, a little note here that said that you joined the church when you were in high school as a senior, which which piqued my interest because I uh, I joined the church as a senior in high school as well. Oh, so I wonder, yeah, yeah, we've got uh, at least a, a commonality there that uh, that I find quite interesting. I wondered if you don't if you don't mind if you might share your conversion story of of how that came to pass. Um, sure. In a nutshell, I had been like I said earlier going to different churches, and I go with friends. And at this time, my mom had cancer, and my dad was you know more consumed with what was going to happen with my mom. And so I I went to different churches. And I honestly had finally come to the conclusion at the grand old age of 15 that nobody believed what I believed inside of me. And so I found a church that was close to my home where everyone just kind of had their own personal beliefs, which is interesting. And But it was led by a man who was a really sweet man. And so that's where I was going, taking myself. And I had gone there for about a year. And um, then one week, a friend of mine at high school said, hey, you want to go to church with me next week? And I said, sure. And he had no clue that I'd been searching. And, you know, this is an amazing thing. I determined that I was going to go to my church first, where I had been going, and then I would go to his because I found it strange that they were meeting in the afternoon. And um, so here's the kicker. When I'm done with my church, I literally walked across the field to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and went to church there. <laughs> I had no idea. had never registered in my mind because I didn't know what a Mormon was, never heard of them. Isn't that interesting? Right. So right. I literally left my car in the one parking lot and went to the other one. And I went, oh, just, I was blessed. I went in on a day where I went to a Sunday school class and lo and behold, the kids were listening and participating, and the teacher was well prepared. And you know, kind of as a joke, nowadays I, I look back and I think, "Wow, I was really blessed because it doesn't right, always work one that day way." Out of right. <laughs> you know. Right. And then I went into their their sacrament meeting, and I and I felt felt something. And um, so after attending for a while, I knew in my heart this is where I needed to be. And you, I don't know if you did this, Bill, but this is how it happened for me. I knew I was on a quest to feel like I was doing as good a job as I could do as a follower of Christ. 
And in my teenage mind, I thought, even if this isn't true, truly true, I cannot see how the Lord could possibly condemn me when I'm trying to be closer to him. And that was my thought process. That's that's beautiful. In And I, I will say this. I, I was, um, from the very moment I walked into the church, I had some really neat experiences that, that in a sense, um, would bind me to it. And so that even in later on in life when I struggled with my faith and in some ways lost parts of my testimony, I had experiences that I could recall with early on with the church that, that in some ways would never let me completely go. But I love what you said because there are many who, who in the midst of struggling with their testimony and some of them in a sense going from a place where they used to know the church was true to a place where they no longer think it is, many members still hold on and still keep going because of the beauty that's in the church. And I'm not trying to to say that the church isn't true. I have a testimony that it is. But to at least speak to the idea for those who are struggling that they might they might consider slowing down. And even if it if it only works this way for a while, just to see the beauty in the church and the good that it does for you, to hang on for that until the rest of it comes back. Yeah, yeah you know, it's interesting to have taken the the life course that my life has taken um, and, and to see what's happening in the world now and the influences come from so many different directions. And I have watched people who seem to make all the, quote, right decisions and then they fall off the edge when they're 40 or 50. Um, and some people, you know, here's the thing, and this is it's a frustration for me because what I learned from the very beginning, somehow I was given a blessing. I just know this was my personal blessing. To not confuse the programs with the people and not, con- right. not confuse the people with the principles. Right. Because right. people really make some ugly mistakes. And programs sometimes absolutely do not work. But I held to the, to what I was tethered to, like I said, with Christ, and I tethered myself to the principles. And, and you know, it's easy to point a judging, judgment finger at ourselves and feel really bad about ourselves because we don't, quote, measure up, or we have conflict with people in the ward, or there's so many social issues that come up, and you know, I mean, you know. Yeah. Uh, the, the bottom line is, yes, I get very frustrated. I have had times of huge frustration with people and with programs. But what has never wavered for me is the eternal principles, the the things that tie me to Christ. And though I may not agree with everything I hear when I go to church, and I may think somebody is, you know, out to lunch, but I I don't answer to them. My testimony and my journey is going to be answering to Christ. And so I've found my principles to be a strength to me and a strength now in my marriage and a strength, you know, with kids who said, eh, it's too stringent for me. I don't want to do it. Gotcha. I, I want to ask you a question. You, you you mentioned being at church and being frustrated at times with some of the, the things people do or say or the way in which perhaps a program is operated. There are many members who, and again, this is my audience, they're struggling with their faith, they're trying to, to find ways to make things work. They may get back to a place where they put their testimony kind of back together, but what they're experiencing now is that when they go into church, People are still on that old paradigm, whereas they've kind of rebuilt things a different way, and they'll find themselves extremely frustrated. And I'll be honest, I find myself extremely frustrated at least at least once every Sunday with something that's said from the pulpit or something that's shared that is 
taught in a way as to say, hey, this is doctrine, when in reality, knowing better, it's not. How do you handle that frustration? Um, I personally have handled it, and I probably always, I don't know how many people may have done this, done it this way, but I have dug myself into scriptures and spent a lot of time in quiet prayer and pondering. And I have drawn a line in the sand, so to speak, and realized that if I don't want people to judge me, I have to be careful that I don't judge somebody else. Right. And and that sounds trite, but that's the way I've had to do it. Because when you've had very unfair, a lot of people in this and this group of ours have had unfair treatment and have had their heart broken and and um I have had to do some deep connecting with Christ because I know that if Christ walked into the building, and I, I can't say I know this, but I feel in my heart that this is what would happen. If Christ came into our sacrament meeting, he would probably not first go up and talk at the pulpit. Do you know what I mean? Right. I believe he would start yep. whichever door he entered, and he would stop at the first person he came to, and he would go up to them and put his arms around them and look them in the face and say, I love you. And I think he would go from that person to the next one and the next one until every single one of us has had that privilege. And I believe when we looked into his eyes, we would know we're loved. And that would be the overriding feeling. Now, when we step away from that with weak people that we are, we let things of the world and things that are going on in us internally and in our families and jobs. And sometimes we just have a bad day. And we yeah. we go to church, and because we're there with the same people, and we don't go to church like most people go to church. Most people go to church. They have a paid minister. Everybody can go and just smile. And you, you know, for some people, it is a it's a social time. And I know almost all of them because I experienced them before I found the LDS church. Um, but when I have, when I have some real particular frustrations, I come to learn that there's almost always a backstory with that person. Now, I have personally had some really ugly, hurtful things done myself. And if it were not for my strength of trying to tie myself to Christ and to keep my covenant, I would have said, see ya. But, and I think if anyone was willing to be honest, there may have been moments when they have had that. Yeah. I might be wrong, but I, I think, you know, we all get tired. And if we are misjudged, it's a very hurtful thing. Um, but, you know, <laughs> this is almost a gotcha thing. I also know that that person is going to answer one day. And it may not be the kind of an interview they think it's going to be if they have not carried out their calling with love, because that goes back to Christ coming into our sacrament meeting. No, I love how you talk about the Savior coming in. You know, often when you're when you're frustrated and struggling and, and having this trial of faith and, and you're hurt by some of the things that are said, you feel like the first thing Jesus would do is he'd walk in and correct all of these things. But I think you're 100% right. I think... I think first is that whole idea of building the trust and the love and the relationship and that that's the primary objective and in whatever little things get taught incorrectly or said wrong, while they may seem hurtful to us in the moment, in reality, they're secondary 
to this whole yoking with Christ and turning ourselves over to him. And so I, I appreciate you saying that. I, I hope people will hear that. And, and maybe the, the thing we can take away from that is that while things are done that are unfair and hurtful, that marginalize others, maybe the first thing we can do rather than react and trying to correct things is to try to build those relationships in such a way that when we do speak up or share a point that people are more willing to trust where we're coming from. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think you put it in better words than I did. But yes, I, I think that that's so because I, I remember, I cannot tell you now which one it was, but I remember one of our prophets, I believe it was either a prophet or one of his counselors. And I, I was, it was not the, it was not President Monson or his counselors, it was further back, who said, we come into this world by ourselves and we will answer by ourselves. Right. And so... Right. Um, it's, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting thing. And also, you know what comes to my mind? My mother used to teach, and my dad did too with adages. <laughs> and, um, as I've gotten older now, I, I appreciate them much more than I did then. But my mom used to always say, it'll all come out in the wash. Yeah. Now the wash itself, I've learned, is not a real fun experience. A lot of agitation. A lot of agitation. And I, it's an, I think it's wonderful that it's called an agitator, right? Right. Um, right. And, oh, so that um, that agitating can go on for quite some time, and the ringing out can happen for a while, but it all comes out. And, and the reason that this came to my mind is, as we're speaking of this, I received the most interesting thing on my Facebook page just this week, and I shared it with my husband because I went, wow, there you go. There's another example of my mom's adage. It comes out in the wash. I received this, this message from this person. I, I don't know her name. I've never met her. But she wrote a message and said, basically, I hope that you will forgive me. Many years ago, I had the opportunity to have you come and speak and sing at our stake when I was the young women's president. And I heard some really ugly things about you from people here. And I listened to it and I I have no idea what happened on that, and I just know that I didn't go. And um, she said, I have since learned, number one, to do my homework on somebody, and number two, to listen myself for, for those feelings. And so basically she's saying, I've come to find out that you are, are a good example and that your music is pure and good and blah, 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 and I hope that you will forgive me. And do you know what that was, Bill? That was a gift to me. Again, many, many years after, just to remind me once again that it comes out in the wash. That's, that's excellent. I want to uh, go back for just a moment to you talking about being a senior in high school, and you said, you know, going to church, you realized the good in it. Was there a moment where the, the switch flipped, where at that point you said, okay, I'm definitely getting uh, baptized and joining this church? <laughs> yes, it, there was. And um, it happened actually before... Here's what I did. I did it backwards. I wanted to go to church, go to church, go to church, go to church, and learn as much as I thought I could, and then have the missionaries come and teach me so that I wouldn't feel so inept. (laughs) And I guess that was my teenagerism, you know. So I went to church for quite a while, and then I said, okay, I want to have the missionaries now because I want to be baptized. Okay. Isn't that weird? It is. (laughs) And I knew I wanted to be baptized because of the feelings in my heart and the feelings in my soul and because I watch people you know I, I, I started going to this Wednesday activity and 
there was this nicest man who was always there. And I just thought, I can't believe this nice man is just always here with everybody. And there were a couple of these nicest women who were always there with us kids. And I laugh now because, you know, he was the young men's president, and the women were in the young women's presidency. Right. I just thought there were these amazing people who were here allowing us to get together and do things that were uplifting and fun. And I, so here's moment of truth. I, I was... I was into everything in high school. I was head cheerleader. I was into student government. I was into everything in the world. And yet, in my senior year, um, the second semester, I had to go to everybody and say, I have to quit everything because my mom has cancer and I don't, I feel like I can't just be gone all the time and need to take care of my mom. And perhaps it was because I had some real life and death things going on with my mother whom I love so much. And um so I was I was very tender. I was very available to the feelings of the spirit. And I've gotten to the point where I went, This is gonna make me a better person and so I have got to do this because it's gonna make me a better person. Yeah, it's amazing how some of these adverse moments in our life, these these deep challenges in the end are really really a blessing for us and we often look at those challenges in the moment and we we wonder why us but in reality they're a tender mercy of the lord right absolutely they are and and that's yeah. what, you know it's like we create our own mosaic and all these little pieces and then as we start to get older we can we can begin to see them come together and i think that's one of the blessings of older age it's one of the one of the trade-offs for what did president hinkley say he said we call it the golden years but it should be the lead years (laughs) (laughs) and so you know for some of that lead that starts setting in it's really nice to have the inner vision come together more and i know that doesn't help us at all when when we're in the middle of anger or hurt or depression or or um isolation but I, 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 you know, I, I have a testimony that we really aren't ever alone. Yeah. And not that it that hasn't made it easier on a lot of occasions, but it's doable, and that's a really nice thing. Beautiful. I, uh, you mentioned going to church for some time, and then finally approaching the missionaries and saying, "Okay, teach me. I'm ready to get baptized." I just jokingly, I wonder if our retention rates would be a little higher if we did it that way. <laughs> Right, let people go to church and wait for them to ask us to be baptized. So, you know, but, but, I feel yeah. like, wouldn't it be nice, oh, and I'm just probably going to speak out of school here, but oh well. Um, wouldn't it be nice if all over the place we did things because we just cared about people? Yeah. We didn't care about an assignment. We didn't care about goals. We didn't care about numbers. We just loved people and wanted them to be happier. That would, I think that's how the Lord does it, and I think it would be a lot easier for all of us if that's all we did. Yep, and we seem to get off track when we get away from that. Yeah, but with, with the best of intentions, we just get caught up in things, and then we have to learn a little here and there. I uh, I read a note preparing for this that said that you uh, you taught for CES for more than 25 years. Was that as a seminary teacher? No, that was for um, BYU and for the for the church church's umbrella continuing education system. So I I worked heavily with especially for youth program and mm-hmm. helped expand it out to outside of um, Utah and Southern California, and wrote the theme song for them with a friend of mine. And um, then, uh, let's see, actually I got started with what's called Education Days. I don't know if you remember those from, they're, they're gone now, but there used to be Education Days that they held all over the church, and that was a blast. And um, the Best of Especially for Youth programs, and the Know Your Religion programs, and uh, the outreach that they used to have. So I was really, really busy uh 
as an adjunctive faculty member for BYU doing all these programs. It sounds like it. sounds like you didn't have a whole lot of free time going from one thing to the next. You know, it was really interesting. When people would ask me for an interview or for a bio or whatever, what's your hobby? <laughs> my hobby was teaching. Right. You know, my hobby was teaching. My first thing was to be a mom. My second thing was to be um, teaching and doing music. And my music was always just for me an adjunctive way to teach principals or sure. to help people. Yeah, what was it like to to write the theme song for, uh, was it EFY? That was just a whole lot of fun, a whole lot of fun, because um, we, uh, so I was doing it with Steve James, a friend of mine, and he and I felt like we needed to have, gather the, the core of the whole thing. So for me, when you send a child to, especially for youth, you want them to not just have an experience for the week, you want them to take it home with them yep. so that they can practice it. And then you want to inc- just invite it into your being so we can take it home with a capital H with us. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. And so um, the song was taking it home with me. And after a few years, um, another group came in and they wanted to shift and just do a different theme song every year. And even though I did do several of the also the little theme songs for the year, now they have just had a different one each year. But yeah. what I find really pleasing is that in the teaching of the program, they still keep the taking it home with me mentality. And um, awesome. so that was my joy. You know, I mean, what we do here, we hope to leave a little teeny imprint and doing something that helps somebody. And then we go on and people take up the reins behind us. So it's nice to have felt like there's a little imprint there. You know, I just feel grateful that I got to do it. You know, I've, I'm learning an appreciation for music. I came from a family that was 100% sports oriented, and that's all we, we ate, you know, ate and slept was sports. And I, I married a wonderful woman who could care less about sports and thrives on musical things. And uh, we've got four kids, and I was hopeful that at least up, up to this point anyway, I was hopeful that one of them would at least grab on to that the sports side of things but all four of them tend to be musically oriented and so i think i've lost out in this whole thing uh but it's yeah but it's been beautiful because uh my i've got a son who plays drums and the trombone a daughter who plays uh violin and the flute and and the two younger ones are just getting to the point now where they're going to start getting into band and things but just so you know music is and i obviously as you know but music is such a beautiful way to reach people on a spiritual level and so appreciate all that you've done for the church in that department. Oh, thank you so kindly. I can tell you that some of the sweetest moments I've ever had were with music, and it's been a great missionary tool for me. When we used to go do so many programs in, in the church, now, you know, all the programs are gone now. The Education right. Week at BYU Provo is still there, and a, a newly created one at BYU-Idaho is still there, but everything else is gone. All those teaching experiences, except for EFY, and I haven't done EFY for more than a decade now. I just was doing all of their other ones. So I feel like, when, gosh, when we're done with our mortal experience, I can be humbled to the dust that I got to come in this little sliver of time when they had all those programs and I got to teach. And right. and I got to do it with music. And in fact, all the administrators would always ask me to include music because it seems like music can sneak into little crevices and, and places, right? Or maybe just the words can't. And, yeah. and when we would go to some, some um, different college campuses, 
it was so precious um, when I was speaking, and I would choose often not just songs I had written, but, but the hymns that I love and the hymns that I grew up with. And if I was seeing How Great Thou Art or Amazing Grace, and um, I Need Thee Every Hour, some of those beautiful hymns, people would come start peeking their heads in all the different doors, you know, and people would come in and, and listen and pay attention. And that showed me in a very striking way how music affects people. And um, I have probably had a great, I don't know if more, but certainly as much response to people coming up and hugging me, feeling like we connected as well. But, you know, it's that common, whatever beautiful thing that is that, that music carries in us. I remember hearing the quote years ago that one of the general authorities said, and it, it, it resonates within me, that what he said was, music gets us closer to heaven than any other way except prayer. And I, I, I believe it. I, I see it. And I, oh, here's what's so beautiful and why I, I'm so uh, in love with what music does for us. When we casually read the scriptures, we just kind of, or I, I should speak for myself, I have been prone to oftentimes just kind of go over them and go on my way, okay, yeah, I'm reading the scriptures. But what I've learned is when I really pay attention, that's when I learn a lot. And that may mean that I spend a long time just on two verses sometimes. Yeah. But what's really significant to me is that the, one of the very last things that the Savior himself ever did before um, the garden and before Calvary's Hill was to be with his disciples and in the scriptures, in the New Testament, it says, and they sang in him. That, to me, is important. I uh, I wanted to, to mention here just for a moment a way that which you impacted me before I even know, knew who you were. Um, I know lots of wards that have done firesides using the Women at the Well um, program or musical or I don't know how theatrical kind of writing with music attached to it. And I know that uh, kind of preparing for this that you and Kenneth Cope uh, wrote that. Is that right? It is. It is. It was a... An absolute delight to, to do that program with Kenneth, sure was. Yeah, I was serving as bishop, and our ward did that. And uh, I remember sitting in the very back of our cultural hall as the sisters were putting that on. The Relief Society did it. And, and uh, in the middle of that thing, I'm wiping tears from my eyes. I just I want to say thank you. That was a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful uh, musical performance that they did, and they used the stuff that you and uh, Brother Cope had put together. So thank you. My, my honor. Thank you for saying that. It's, it's been a privilege to watch. You know, lots of people are still doing it. I, my own stake here about three years ago did it, and they asked me if I would participate, and I said, if you wouldn't mind, I'd rather just sit and enjoy it. And they did such a beautiful job, and uh, people bring their own testimonies and their own goodness to these things, and it's, it's, it's a joy. And it was neat. I know that in that performance, each of the, the sisters, in the way you guys wrote it, have their own personality. And then when these sisters performed it, it was neat. They took great effort to kind of match up in some ways the sister with that person. And it just, it came off beautifully. So again, thank you. Well, my, my pleasure. Thank you very kind. I want to kind of wrap up just talking a little bit about your interaction with, uh, with Fair Mormon. Um, I wanted to talk first. There's a little mention here that you were an adult mentor uh, with Fair's youth organization, and I wonder what all that involved and and uh, how that uh, how that worked. Well, um, I I know one of the fellows who began Fair, and just great people who operate on the level of here. Let's really talk turkey here. <laughs> you know, with a lot right. of things, and I appreciate that. 
And um, so on a particular occasion, I was asked to come and, and speak for them and uh, did a, a program called The Soraya Dilemma, how to... Uh, how did I title it? I believe it was finding increased faith for ourselves when our children misplace their own. And that seemed to strike a nerve with a lot of people. And then I was asked if I would participate in this mentoring progress thought process. And this is why it really was important to me. We have these youth programs, and, and a lot of youth, they don't feel included for whatever reason. And then the kids turn 18, and they become a single adult. And what in the world happens to them? It, it's difficult to try to, to, to keep, uh, keep to keep the loving tabs on them and to keep them included like we'd like. So, <clears throat> the, excuse me, something in my throat. Um, so to have the opportunity to work with a group of kids who are on flyer with their own testimony and wanting to reach out to other kids was um, what pulled me to this. So we had this opportunity to work with some wonderful kids and have them begin to use social media to connect with other young people. Now, to be honest, I don't think it ever has become what FAIR wanted it to, but sometimes we open the door and then that causes a chain reaction for something else to happen. So after our working with them for a few years and getting things going, now the church has started doing so much social media and connecting kids together that I, I, I just feel like I hope that we were at least the door openers for that. Do you know what I mean? Sure, absolutely. Uh, and so it, what, what my greatest privilege was finding that there were these kids all over the United States, and we didn't we didn't go global, but we were around the United States, where wow, there were just these adorable young men and women who who wanted to stay strong and wanted to spread joy, and it it was it was delightful. It was just wonderful. So I don't know that I did anything so much as just enjoy them and try to point them in the direction of of gathering people together. And I want to talk a little bit, and that's great, and I want to kind of tie back into that, but I want to talk for a moment here about your um, your presentation at FAIR. As you mentioned, it was titled The Soraya Dilemma, How to Increase Our Faith, I'm sorry, Our Own Faith, When Our Children Have Misplaced Their Own. In let me maybe phrase it from this way, because we're hitting this from two angles. One is there are people who, because of encountering a complex history that they never expected or encountering other issues with, with whether it be members of the church or um, other experiences they have that, in a sense, cause them to feel a loss of trust in the church, they will withdraw. And, and that and, and so you're kind of dealing with this from the other side of the coin, which is helping those who are kind of left in the wake of this. And, and so what were some of the things that you felt were important as you reached out to parents trying to help them as their children were losing faith in the gospel and withdrawing from the church? Well, what I hoped to do was to first point to the scriptures themselves, where you know we have just these basic little outlines of these people's lives, right? But when you really think of Lehi and Sariah as a man and a woman married, and the Lord gives them a heads up to leave Jerusalem, which is going to be destroyed, and you have all the worldly goods, and you have the station, and you have this and that and the other, let's face it, that would be hard for anybody to leave, right? And, yeah. and I'm thinking that you know Sariah must have had a dilemma, leaving her home behind and traveling into the wilderness to who knows where with her husband and children, knowing that she had what would probably be the epitome of what we would call a dysfunctional family. 
and, yeah. and we love to toss that term around about dysfunctional family. Not sure how much we should use that because I don't know anybody who doesn't have some dysfunction in their family. <laughs> you know what I mean? That part of life. Right. But they, they as parents have their heart broken, and I know what it's like to have my heart broken when our children choose to, um, to take the hard road. But what I found that was so important is, and this probably, to be honest, Bill, helped me more than it could ever help anybody else, when I gained my own recognition that it's almost like when I was doing this class, the Savior said to me, don't do my job. It's my job. I worked so hard to try to, quote, save this one child um, from some horrible things. And as a little bit of background, personally, I don't mind telling you that three, my three boys, I, I got to the blessing of, of adoption. And one of them was a crap baby, and one, his mother, was an alcoholic. And um, so we had some particular issues to deal with. Sure. And um, I wanted to save my children, and I finally got it. I finally got the message from the Lord, stop trying to do my job. It's my job to save, not yours. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. No, absolutely. And we do. We, we tend to feel sometimes obligated to, to go to certain lengths when in reality, we ought to consult the Lord first and make sure that, that whatever we're trying to do is in according with what He would like. Uh, to happen. We, we sometimes want to take things into our own hands. And while we certain, yeah, we, and we certainly want to be the hand of the Lord, but that requires us to lean on Him telling us where we need to be and what we need to do. Right. It's almost like we need to be the glove on the Lord's hand, right? right. So that He's, He's telling us how to move. Because what we usually do is, as parents, is we have these horrible guilt feelings and we have some anger issues, we we feel less than, we're depressed, we're hurt for ourselves and for them, and many, many parents do the what-if thing, or they go to the to the place of, what did I do wrong, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the, the bottom line is, yeah, we can do a lot of things to help our children, but their journey is their journey. And I found it as the way when I really, really learned to lean on the Lord myself and trust him that he would pave the way so that one day my children would lean on him themselves. Yeah, that really hits home in a good way because through this podcast, I get I get maybe an email every other week, sometimes more often, from uh, parents or from a spouse who is dealing with someone they love having lost their faith and withdrawing from the church. And they're always asking me, you know, what should I do or how can I handle this? And, and I love your whole, the whole idea that, you know what, let the Lord be in charge. He knows what he's doing. And your responsibility from that point is to love them, to certainly be there to help and to, to, to serve, but also to be in tune with the Savior and recognize that we can't force anything to happen. Everybody has agency. And at the end, Heavenly Father is working to bring all of his children home. And that, that effort is a personal effort with each and every one of us. Yes, it, it is. And, and that, and that personal effort means our children have their own personal one as much as we wish that we could keep our arm over them, you know? So, so it's like yeah. we need to learn to keep sanity in our own life. Yeah, you know, if we don't, this, it's not going to help them. Right, right. And, and this may, yeah, this may be completely off, this may be completely off base, but you were talking there and it, it brought a thought to my mind, which was, I gave a, a sacrament talk in my ward, uh, about a month and a half, 
two months ago, maybe two and a half months ago, and I was talking about things I was grateful for, and one of the things I expressed gratitude for was the idea that that isn't just our church that is working to bring about the you know eternal life and immortality of man, but that that's God's work and that it goes way beyond our church. And so in my in my talk I said I I have a testimony that there are those who are called and authorized by God. Now I wasn't saying priesthood, but called and authorized by God to help bring his children home and those people are not all found within the church that some of them are found outside the church. And and when I got done giving that talk, a uh, a member of our ward came up to me afterwards and it was almost like I was saying blasphemy, but but what you're speaking to is this whole idea that God's work is enormous. It is far-reaching, and for us to simply think that uh, that us 15 million Mormons are are rescuing the entire world, I think, kind of takes that same approach, which is to not recognize that this is God's work. It's not. It's not the Mormons' work, right? I mean, it's not. It's, right, and the church is just one facet of all the things that are going into this work to bring about uh, the immortality and eternal life of God's children. So, so here's here's you know, my husband and I have spoken of this often. Here's what is so important that we have in our in our church: we have covenants, and our covenants can cover us, can help us, and and yeah. and, and get us home. But but you know. That spiritual growth and spiritual understanding comes in, in many ways. And people, there are a lot of amazing people who are doing good work who they one day will accept the covenants that will help them even more. Right. And so, you know, I I was an example of somebody who was doing my very best that I could. And thankfully, I had the blessing of coming into an a congregation of people who accepted me with open arms and, and were oh so kind. And I know that everybody doesn't have that opportunity. And so that's heartbreaking and it takes it takes a lot of um takes a lot more courage for for those good people to hang in there. I know that I was in another state one time and a man came to church and he was seemed such a sweet man. I'd never seen him before, nobody had and he reeked to high heaven as they say of cigarette smoke. And um when it came time for sacrament meeting I watched that man and I saw that actually he sat down in the very back and a couple of people got up and nobody sat around him I thought I will be doggone if I'm going to go into this chapel and not sit by this man. Right. Now, I, I actually am genuinely allergic to cigarettes and smoke, but I was not going to let that good man sit there. And then I remember hearing one of our general authorities say, isn't it a shame that we react more to those sins which can be sniffed out? Right, when we all have sins and some of them just can't be seen. Or smelled, <laughs> right? right? I mean, right. come on. Uh, I remember, you know, Joseph Smith said, I would rather be with a man who cusses as long as my arm than to be a hypocrite. Right. Right, and I mean, that doesn't give us leeway to do anything. But uh, the point was, we are the intent of our heart, and that's even how the Lord judges us, the intent of our heart. So if we could just try to attend ourselves and, oh, you know, that, that old story about the the wolf, the good wolf and the bad wolf, right? Or the two, two wolves inside of us. Yes. And, you know, the, right. the, there's a Cherokee man who told his grandson that there's a battle that goes on. Uh, between two wolves inside of us, and he speaks of the first one as the one that has all that anger and sorrow and jealousy and arrogance and all that stuff. And then he says the other is good, and it's got the 
peace and the love and the joy and truth and compassion. And the little boy says to him, which one wins? And then, you know, the, the old man simply said, the one you feed. Right. So, How true that is. you know, if we are what we eat, we are what we eat spiritually, aren't we? That's that's so beautiful. And, uh, you know, when I... <clears throat> When I post this interview, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave a link so that people can access the, uh, the talk you gave at FAIR, the Soraya Dilemma. I'm also gonna post, which I think is kind of a similar article that you had in LDS Living, which was how to keep the faith when children fall. And I think that'll probably speak to those same kinds of principles. I just, I wanted to express just gratitude to you. You have spent a lifetime of service in the church. And uh, and appreciate you reaching out to those whose loved ones are struggling or have fallen away, and uh, and trying to help them keep the faith when when someone around them is having that hard time. And just to say thank you for being on the podcast today, I just so appreciate uh, everything that you've done, uh, Sister Panky Taylor. Well, I you, you bring tears to me, Bill. Thank you. You know, none of us none of us are. We shouldn't seek to have the light focus on us. You know what I mean? Right. Our job is to, to give glory to God. And neither one of us has gone through life without having hardship. And um, the things that matter are the things that tie us together. And um, the one source of what ties us all together, goodness, is our Father in Heaven and the Savior. So I, I, I have just felt unbelievably honored to be to have a small part in all this and you know last year i had a huge sickness which just about took me out of here but i'm doing great again and looking forward to education week at provo again and so i know that he is with us and sometimes i have felt like he was more distant but he wasn't more distant i was more distant from him (laughs) you know what i mean and so my joy has been just to say you know what you're a good person you may have made some bad choices but you're still a good person because god only makes he makes us good people. Now, we get to choose which way we're going, right? But we can have, oh, I just wish I could put my arms around people. I, that, I wish I could hug everybody in the whole wide world. <laughs> that would make me really happy because I think people need to know that they're loved. Beautiful. Uh, thank you for being on the podcast today. I appreciate you so much. Thank you, Bill. And you know what? If I just mentioned, if you feel the inclination, I made a little website. It's not big. It's, but it's called uh, goodnessmatters.com. And I just try to put a little here here and there, put up things that might help make a principle more real or give somebody a smile or give them an uplift. And most of my work now, rather than doing the teaching since it has been you know, discontinued, is to just do a little bit online. Awesome. I will share a link with that. I'm sorry I didn't mention that. I, I kind of forgotten about that part, but I, I had spent some time looking at the site a couple of times. In fact, what we'll do is we'll title this episode, we'll put your name, and then we'll title it Goodness Matters, and uh, I will link everybody who listens to this podcast to that site. As you point out, it's a wonderful place to receive some added inspiration, some added opportunities to think about and talk about and, and to see why it's so important that each of us do what we can uh, to bless the lives of those around us. Thank you again. Thank you, Thank you Bill. I am just so happy to have finally have this time to the opportunity to talk with you. You're, you're a very, very good guy, and I appreciate what you do. Come thou fount of every blessing Tune my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise 
Teach me some melody, sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it, mount of Thy redeeming love. Here I raise my Ebenezer, here by Thy great help I've come, and I hope. By thy good pleasure, safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. day when freed from sinning I shall see thy lovely face clothed then in blood washed linen how I'll sing thy sovereign grace come my Lord no longer tarry take my ransom soul away Send thine angels now to carry me to realms of endless day. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I am constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above.